This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I kind of knew we were going to do this podcast at some point, a podcast about one of the superstars getting hurt. And it happened. So here we are recording on January 16th, 2022. It's Kevin Durant. It's not the end of the world, but it is a significant amount of time. Four to six weeks. Brooklyn basketball podcast. Evan Roberts, Mike Paseglia. You could follow Mike at Mike Delivers Pod. Uh, we will get into the rookies and how important they've become and their roles over the last few weeks. The Nets struggles, especially at home. And of course, the return of Kyrie Irving. But we start with this. When you saw Bruce Brown fall into Kevin Durant's knee Saturday night against the Pelicans and you saw Kevin try to walk it off and it not go well, uh, what'd you think? Did you think it was the end of the world? I was scared. The part that scared me the most was that Kevin tried to keep going. Like he walked, I believe, to the free throw line. And then at that point, he pointed to the bench or the play was still going on. He's like, I can't do this. And I trust him knowing his body so well. That scared me because there's been so many plays, Evan, this year where he's gone up for a block. He's gone up for a dunk. And I'm like, ah, like cringing every time he's going up in the air and then falling. But he always just seemed to pop up and seem solid. This, he knew right away something wasn't right with his body. And the fact that he asked to get out was the part that alarmed me the most. Yeah, look, you hit on it. There are guys, Vince Carter used to do it all the time. I think James Harden does it a lot, where they go down after contact, and it looks as if they've been shot. And it takes them 30 seconds to get up, Mm -hmm. and then you realize it's no big deal. It even happened to James Harden later on in that game. I think it was a wrist thing. Uh, And then one play, they called a timeout. He ended up okay. He ended up playing 40 minutes, and he's good to go. Kevin Durant's not like that. You know, when Kevin Durant falls hard to the ground, he pops up immediately. You know what's what's odd that scared me? The other night, Derek Jones Jr. got hurt 35 seconds into the bull net game, and it looked very, very bad. I mean, it looked, wow, that that can be a horrible, horrible injury. And then luckily for, for Derek and for the Chicago Bulls, the news came out, not a big deal. I think they ruled it a hyperextended knee. And... Because that looks so bad and turned out to not be too bad, the opposite kind of hit me with Kevin because even when they showed the replay, it didn't look that bad. I mean, you can see how he got hurt, sure, but it didn't feel as if this is that catastrophic injury. And that scared me because I'm not a freaking doctor. You know, what the hell do we know? So the fact it didn't even look that bad actually frightened me the most as I tried to go to sleep last night. 
there's a lot of times with the injuries that don't look bad and don't have contact and you get the most worried as opposed to the hard physical boom hit play where it happens and the guy, you know, knock on wood is okay. Yeah. Everything ran through my mind of it didn't look that bad. He's, he was the one that said, I have to get out of here. And then of course, everything runs through your mind about what your feel for this team, everything that's built been built for this season and all the excitement you have getting to the playoffs. And then your mind starts to wander. And then the anxiety of the fact that you hear it's an MRI and you can't get answers until the next day, you just sit there and wait and wait and wait for, you know, somebody to send out a, tw- a tweet, which ended up being the nets at first with information that's hard to even then distinguish and all of that waiting and anxiety, it's just the worst. And then you get the news that it eventually it is four to six weeks. Believe it. If you want to, you just have, then you, then it's time. Okay. Let, let's well, deal with it rationally. You, you hit it on the head. Believe it. If you want to Joe Harris was supposed to be out, I think six to eight weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So a little bit more than Kevin Durant, we are past six to eight weeks. Not only is he still out, there isn't even a sign that he's practicing anytime soon. And the only update we got from Steve Nash the other day was, yeah, his rehab has been tricky. So, you know, that being fresh in your mind is a reminder that it's not a hard date of four to six weeks. And obviously you want to be cautious. Kevin Durant is the best player on the Nets. He's the best player in the league. And if they're going to go anywhere, you would think they're going to need a healthy Kevin Durant. So even that four to six week number, I don't know if I can fully believe it. You basically have to just live for the next month and a half. I like to say two months. I, I always try to make it not that I'm being negative. I try to think, okay, for the next two months, Kevin Durant is out. And if you do the math on two months, that takes you to the middle of March. Okay, that leaves you another month before the postseason starts. And as much as we'd love to see Kevin Durant on the floor as much as humanly possible, you know, with limits, if he's back with a month to go, that's certainly a lot better than what we saw last year with James Harden, where he was back with days to go before the postseason. So I I hope they're right about the four to six weeks. But even if it turns out to be eight weeks, the good news that comes out of all of this is that assuming this doesn't turn out to be far worse than we're hearing, he's going to be back with time to spare before the playoffs. That's the big positive. Yeah, and that's the part that matters the most for the Nets is they lead into the playoffs that he's there and he and obviously can get through this rehab and be the best version of himself. But the, this thought that it's four weeks and Kevin Durant's back is nonsense. It's going to be at least two months. When it's four to six, it's just... It's never believable with the Nets. It's always something different. And this came, what's interesting too is, you know, this comes from Woj. So the Nets released the information about the rehab and don't give like any information. They just say he'll be playing basketball again. He'll be fine. Don't worry. There's no surgery. And then you hear from Woj in a tweet, you know, three to five minutes later that reveals it's the four to six thing, four to six week thing. So based on the Nets track record and all the information you laid out nicely with Joe Harris, there's no doubt in my mind that this is at least eight to 10 weeks. And that's what it realistically is. And then you just hope that he comes back and he's still fine and he's playing great. And I don't see why he would not be proven his track record after injuries. He's been very, very, very good. And then you just get to the playoffs and we've talked about this and it's so interesting because we're like, yeah, in the moment it's about winning and it feels good, but it's crazy because as much as you want to beat the Pelicans, the second you see that, instantly becomes irrelevant in your head. It's like, oh, yeah, who cares? Even though in the moment of when you're watching these games, you want them to win so badly. But all of a sudden, it's like, does it really matter they lost the Thunder? Does it really matter? (laughs) 
Eh, not really. After seeing then Kevin Durant 48 hours in pain on the court. I'm, I'm not even joking. Who plays basketball first, Kevin Durant or Joe Harris? I hope it's Joe. <laughs> I, mean, well, I mean, I will die. I hope it's Kevin because there's a miracle, but but it's I, I would assume it's Joe Harris. I I'm just saying we football. haven't gotten any update on Joe Harris. Nothing's been leaked to Woj. <laughs> nothing's out there other than yeah the rehab was tricky well what the hell does that mean i mean what what ended up happening that caused it to be quote unquote tricky like i don't i don't fully understand no it doesn't make any sense in the injury you know it was a really nasty looking ankle sprain when he went down but like now all these months later it's like what happened yeah and there's like a loose particle of his foot i mean what and they miss I don't him. Understand it. And, and, and listen, just watching this team all season long, they miss him. I mean, they would be, especially when they're whole, so much more lethal to have another three point shooter out there, another guy that can space the floor and not have to rely as much as they do on Patty Mills. And that's only going to be more so now with Kevin Durant out. This team, in a lot of ways, goes when Patty Mills goes. And look, Patty's had a fine year this year, but he is all or nothing. I mean, that's the one thing I've learned about watching him, at least this season. He yeah. has nights in which he is such a huge part of this offense. He makes it go in many ways. He's hitting his outside shot. Great. And the Nets usually win. And then there are nights where he's for seven from the field and they can't hit threes because look around this roster. You know, Kessler Edwards has certainly come on and that's been great to see, but they don't have a lot of three-point shooting. And so it's put more of an onus on Patty Mills. So they need Joe Harris. And the reason I bring that up is because if they can get Joe back in a couple of weeks, it helps offset, not, not by a lot, but a little bit, the loss of Kevin Durant, that you can at least add another shooter to this roster, to this rotation. And I don't know what to think because they haven't given us an update on Joe. So I don't know what he's coming back. And it, it, the longer it goes, the scarier it gets that there's something going on that's deeper that we don't know about when they say tricky. And that scares you because, yeah, they need as much as much grief as we gave Joe Harris in the playoffs. And boy, he was terrible. They need to have him out there so at least they can space the floor and give themselves these options. You know, you feel good that Patty Mills is on the roster because let's say we get to a playoff series and Joe's just not knocking down shots. There's flexibility now to have somebody that can do it. But at the same time, when Patty Mills is one for seven, you like the flexibility the other way that you have Joe Harris that you know can shoot 45 ish percent from three and is the guy that can space the floor and help you out. This is a Nets thing, man. They just always are so quiet and sneaky about all of these injuries that it gets in the back of your mind like, what is really going on with Joe? And then you start to speculate in your head something not great. And you get scared about it. And then the same stuff starts happening with Durant. You know, that, that report they put out when he's like, he'll be playing basketball again, but we just, he's in rehab, no timetable. It's like, is he playing basketball again in 2024? Is he playing <laughs> right. basketball again in a week? I mean, there's a lot in between there. This riding on this se this season is yeah. just so frustrating. With and, him. you know, it, it's crazy. Last year, kind of the big feeling we had, not really around this time on January 16th, because they had just traded for Harden, but certainly about a month and a half later, was how many times will we see the three guys play together before the postseason? And it was so start and stop, mostly because of injuries. Obviously, for the first couple of weeks, Kyrie Irving was just out for personal reasons, but then it became 
trading off health issues, whether it was Harden dealing with the hamstring issue, Durant dealing with the hamstring issue. Believe it or not, Kyrie Irving was mostly the constant. He was mostly the guy out there. And so when we got to the postseason last year, that was the big science experiment. Can they win a championship after only playing nine games together? And we never got the answer because guys got hurt in the playoffs. So you can't even say the science experiment didn't work. It's just they couldn't last, you know, obviously. And we're going to do the same thing this year. Yep. Now, obviously, the vaccine was a big part why for the first few months of the season, we would have seen plenty of the big three if Kyrie Irving was eligible to play. So I acknowledge that. We all acknowledge that. But now you throw in the fact that Durant is out at least a month and a half, maybe longer, and you still have the Irving question. We don't know if he's going to get vaccinated. We don't know if the city rules are going to change. So assuming that doesn't change, and assuming KD can come back in that four to six week window, you're still talking about the big three only playing a handful of games before the postseason starts. And that's the part that's so frustrating and so mind boggling. Like when they made that trade for James Harden after, you know, I got over my anger over it. You started to think, wow, we get to watch three superstar players play together, except we haven't. Oh. And we're not going to anytime soon. And that's the part that's just, it makes you want to rip your hair out. I mean, how many times are we going to see these three guys play together before the postseason starts? And it's every time we're about to get on a little streak of getting the three together, it happens. This happened last year with injuries. And then it was like, all right, we got everybody back together. Remember, Durant comes back and then Harden got hurt. I mean, it was just unbelievable timing. And here we are again, where we're just going to have basically Kyrie half the time and Harden, hopefully most of the time now with Kevin Durant out. And it is so put out this out of all the hundred games they've been together 10, 11 times. I mean, it's so depressing. And you think about all the firepower this team has, and then you start playing in your mind. Well, it's only about what matters when they get to the playoffs. So hopefully they're healthy then. And that's what counts. And then the issue is, okay, well, last year they weren't they weren't able to stay together. Not only was it one, it was two. It was it was Harden going down in the first couple seconds versus the Bucks, and then Kyrie Irving with the bad injury in the series later on versus the Bucks, and that game that they really needed to win. And that that game three versus the Bucks was almost more frustrating than the other ones. But anyway, down them going down a rabbit hole of anger versus Milwaukee, they weren't even around in the playoffs. So I think last year you make the point like, oh, the science experiment. We'll find out. At this point, it's like, I don't even expect them to play together in the regular season. I'm just hopeful that that they can be together in the playoffs, right. that, that Durant's healthy and Kyrie Irving is in the roster full is on the roster full time. I don't even I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I don't even care about the regular season. I want them to play together. I shouldn't say I don't care. I've just I've just come to the place where I assume they'll never be together in the regular. Season. <laughs> right now, I'll, I'll, I'll give you potential positives, believe it or not. Uh, number one, I and I think you and I think plenty of Net fans were concerned about the heavy minute load on Kevin Durant. Well, that worry goes away now yeah, because right. he's out four to six weeks. So the worry of, oh, my God, he's playing 40 minutes a night. This is crazy. You can put that to bed. Now, here's the other one. And it's it's sort of interesting if you assume James Harden can stay healthy for the next month and a half and Kyrie Irving can stay healthy for the next month and a half. I put that caveat in because you never know. More guys can get hurt. The Nets are about to embark on a large stretch of games in which they're on the road, which means 
you're going to get the Kevin Dur- uh, the Kyrie Irving, James Harden duo, which we pointed out on the podcast was actually the best duo when it came to win loss record a year ago. Even if you want to include this year with the heavy dose of Kevin Durant and James Harden. So you still would think, hey, having having Kyrie Irving, having James Harden as your two headed backcourt monster. You should still be fine. If you look at the schedule that's about to begin after they took care of business against the Pelicans, they've got a four-game road trip at Cleveland, at Washington, at San Antonio, at Minnesota, in which none of them are back-to-backs. Okay, so you should feel good about the fact that, again, barring any more injuries, you got Harden, you got Kyrie. They come back for the Laker game. They have that makeup game against the Nuggets. That's the James Harden show all by himself, you basically hope to split those two games with James Harden running with basically a bunch of rookies. Then they go on the road, and it's not easy, but they go on the road against Golden State, against Phoenix, against Sacramento, against Utah, against Denver. Not an easy trip, but my point is you'll have the two guys. Then they come home before the All-Star break and play Boston, Sacramento, a Nick Net game, which is basically a home game in that Kyrie Irving can't play, And then the game against Washington. So if you do the math, there's only six games that Kevin Durant would miss at home, which means you're only playing with one superstar. So again, assuming they can stay healthy, and I know that's a big kind of leap of faith based on the injury history that we're all fearful of, they would only have to play with one superstar six times before coming out of the All-Star break on the 24th of February, which Woj even wrote as kind of like a goal Mm -hmm. for Kevin Durant to come back. So, look, I don't know if I'm just trying to talk myself into this not being an out-and-out disaster, but if you look at it that way, they should have a good amount of time with their two superstars on the floor over the next month and a half. The positive I'll look from this, and I'll have to see if this actually comes together and happens, is last year when Durant went out, James Harden became not only good, not great, but he was in the MVP discussion. And the topics were like, can you give James Harden an MVP because how of how he dogged it in Houston and didn't really care? <laughs> right. And then because he went to the Nets and he was simply spectacular. And we saw James Harden's best games this year really was the pocket when he came back from COVID and he was brilliant in the Laker game and then was just like one of the best performances I've seen from him in his brief history, which has had a lot of great ones in that Clipper series, in that Clipper game, excuse me. I'm hoping that if I'm going to say like, okay, what positive can we get here is that James Harden elevates his game to what we had seen last year. And he's gotten a lot better. He's improved. It's a little inconsistent. It's been up and down and there's been some moments, but what we saw last year was spectacular. James Harden. Can we get that James Harden back that we saw last year that took over similar. So now that Durant's out, maybe that's a positive that in this four to six weeks, James Harden really gets consistent and not that I'm going to say gets in the MVP conversation because the most of the seasons happened, I suppose, but that he can get himself back to that elite level of playing consistently. Right. I think could be a positive. Well, and they look, they need him to, I mean, if we care about wins and losses and I certainly do, I know you certainly do. They're going to need him to, I mean, I went through some of those games on that schedule. It's not going to be easy. You know, you want to go to Phoenix, you want to go to golden state. You want to win those games on the road. You're going to need James Harden to play at an elite level. And look, I mentioned this to you before we sort of forget about this. And I think that those that don't watch the Nets would never guess this. Last year, during all the different combos they threw out there, 
the best combo was Kyrie Irving and James Harden. They played 17 games together without Kevin Durant. 17 games. Their record was 14 and three. Now, you can go deep dive on that and find a lot of mediocre opponents, and I understand that, and that should be pointed out. Not every NBA team is created equal, but at this point, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, you're just trying to get wins against whoever you play. Obviously, the Nets have struggled over the last few weeks against all kinds of opponents. I mean, you look at that Trailblazer loss last week. That's unacceptable. So I think it's a positive that we've seen this combo, this star-led combo, because obviously the roster is very different than last year and certainly the rotation over the last week or so where we've seen Kessler Edwards play a bigger role, De'Ron Sharp play a bigger role, obviously DeAndre Bembry being on this roster. So all things are not created equal. Joe Harris is still not back. I acknowledge that. But that combo was the best one. And if we're talking about chemistry, that's the combo that needs to develop its chemistry, probably more than any other grouping, because we've seen a lot of Kevin Durant and James Harden this year. They were obviously teammates many years ago. We saw plenty of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving a year ago. So this is the combo that probably needs to develop, quote unquote, its chemistry a little bit more. So I I guess that's, the positive I tell myself going into this uh, next four to six week or more period. And I love watching Kyrie and Harden together because sometimes I get frustrated with Harden when he brings the ball up the court. It's a slow pace, but that's him. Get the ball up 16 seconds. Takes a long time to get into the offense. Eight seconds drives a play happens. I feel like when Kyrie and him are together, Kyrie forces the tempo to pick up a little bit. And I love that that, part of their games together where you got James Harden moving at a faster pace. Like what we saw in that blowout win where he had the behind the back passes that he was giving, he was just moving the tempo. And I love when we can see that. And they're, they're really just such different players that they work so well as a backcourt. And and I'm, I'm, uh, again, it's a lot of just like, let's find a way to feel positive about losing the best player in the NBA for four to six weeks. But at this point, when wins are important going into the regular, going into the postseason, because you don't want them to fall too far back. But then at the same time, understand and respect that it's all about the health in the postseason. Let's just see how these two guys come together. Let's see what they can do. And then, you know, hope for the best when April rolls around that everything's healthy. Well, here's why wins and losses matter. I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference right now, The Nets are only a half game behind the one seed, and that's great. You know, the Chicago Bulls have been tripped up, really starting with the Nets, and that really began the trip up. Uh, Tied 71-71 in the Blitzkrieg, the big three put on them. They got blown out a few days later against the Warriors, and they lost a brutal game against the Celtics the other night. So they've lost three in a row. Zach Levine's out, so the Bulls have their own issues. The Miami Heat, who... This does not surprise me that the Miami Heat are in the top two or three after the letdown from last year. We know how good Spolster is. They haven't been whole. I mean, look at the injuries they've dealt with this year, but they're only a half game behind the Nets. Milwaukee's only a game and a half behind. Philadelphia's played great basketball. They're only two games behind the Nets. Even Cleveland, who the Nets play on Monday, they're only separated by two games. If the Nets don't beat Cleveland, they will have the same amount of wins and be separated by just two games in the loss column. That's the top six in the Eastern Conference. So here's why wins matter. Because they matter in the standings right now. It's not as if they're seven games up on the sixth spot. You know, they're only two games up 
on the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. And if you really want to get even darker when you get to seven through 10, which means you're in a play-in tournament, the lead's a little bit bigger. But even that is insurmountable. They're only five games up in the loss column on Charlotte, four games up in the loss column on Toronto. If you want to look at Washington and the Knicks who have played a lot better, it's only six games in the loss column. So it's not as if they've got room to just lose 10 out of 12 and everyone can say, ah, it's no big deal. Wins matter because the Eastern Conference is a better conference top to bottom than it's been in a while. So it's not about, oh, I need the one seed or, oh, I need the two seed. It's you don't want to fall to five, six, seven, especially seven. That's a disaster. It, it, trust me, I don't want to see the Nets lose, and I hate seeing it. If they fell to seven, I'd be pretty pissed off about it and not in the mood for it. And I'd be more alarmed that, they're, that they fall to seven because that James Harden wasn't and Kyrie Irving weren't capable of team wins and helping out together. That would make me scared, not because they're like the seven seed, but because of what the hell happened to this team and they can't be good. But I mean, I'll just be blunt. It's about being healthy in the playoffs. And if the Nets are the five seed and they're on the road and they have to go into Cleveland, the Nets are going to be favored. If the Nets are the six seed and they're on the road and they have to go into Philly, the Nets are going to be favored. It's, it is it is about the health at the end, getting there at the right time, and playing good is important. And I don't want to see this team drop, and I don't want to sweat and be in a playing game. Oh, my God. We don't need to deal with that. I can't believe we're even going there, but it's, you know, they will, you know, creep in our minds if they start losing games, but it's just, it is about getting the three of them healthy, being there strong at the end, because I think what ended up happening was what we saw in maybe Chicago's fool's gold now a little bit because they're struggling. But what we saw in Chicago was like, okay, when they're together and they're trying they are a force. They're they a force. Oh, no, no doubt. And I think that's that's the CT, if you will, the tease of watching mm-hmm. those three guys play together. It's electric. It's just we mm. haven't seen a lot of it. You know, that's, I think, the most frustrating thing. That's why, not that I ever want to think about the offseason or free agency, but God, I hope both of these guys opt out and resign because I would like, I would like at least one season where we get to see the three of them play, I don't know, 60 games together, 55 games together. The hope was this was going to be the year. And so we haven't had it. Obviously, the vaccine issue with Kyrie, now the injury to Kevin Durant. But yeah, when those three guys are together, and I think that's the, the real frustrating part, because look, this team hasn't played well for whatever reason, since the Laker Clippers sweep in which James Harden, you know, led those led that team because Katie was still out with COVID issues to those two games sweep in Los Angeles. They came back after that. And it's been, it's been different, you know, for whatever reason, like it's just, I don't know. It's just been a completely different scenario. The Philadelphia loss, the Clipper loss, getting embarrassed by Memphis. It's been a rough go of it over the last few weeks, which exposes other issues, obviously. But yeah, when the three superstars are together and healthy from what we've seen, and it hasn't been a lot because I think it's still only 11 regular season games and the five games in the postseason against Boston, because you certainly can't count game one against Milwaukee. It's been, it's been electric. Look, the, the, the positive that's been fun to watch and it better, you know, keep with the wins coming is watching these rookies. Steve Nash gave David Duke an opportunity a few weeks ago. It feels like that's kind of gone now. Duke barely played in the Pelican game. And now it's about Kessler Edwards, Dayron Sharp, and even Cam Thomas, who hit that game winner a week ago against San Antonio. What do you think of the Rooks? I mean, are you excited about the way these rookies have played? I'm really excited about it. The problem is I am, I, 
I'd be li- I'd be I'd be lying if I said, you know, okay, let me say this. When they drafted four rookies, I was, f- first the draft came was like they're going to trade their picks and get veterans. Completely wrong. They drafted four rookies, all late picks. I said, okay, here's the G League. This is what it'll be. Then Cam Thomas had a nice summer league. We got all excited. Okay, he's somebody, especially now with the Kyrie news, he's somebody, an offensive player. He'll be in the rotation. You and I went to the game where it was versus Toronto, where Durant started, or Durant played, and then the four kids were around him and playing. And it was like, okay, here's these guys. This is really cool. We'll see what happens when the other guys come back from COVID. Does Coach Natch go to them? He did not. They looked sluggish. They looked bad. They couldn't, they had no energy. So now here he is playing these guys and they look pretty good. And it's so confusing and strange. Kessler Edwards is athletic. He can defend. He can shoot from the, he can shoot the three. Dayron Sharp can finish around the rim. He's a great offensive rebounder and a guy that helps them in the post defensively with the rebounding side of things. And then Cam Thomas can score in bunches when he gets hot. It's, it's bizarre that a team that has so many veterans and you would expect would never have rookies come set foot in here. Not only are they playing, but they need them and they're, they need they're relying them. on them. You know it's strange. <laughs> What's crazy is that when this team was put together and we looked at the roster at the beginning of the season, there's a lot of sexy names on the roster, but it's an old basketball team. Exactly. It is. A lot of the depth pieces that we like are older guys. I mean, Patty Mills is an older guy. Blake plays like an older guy. LaMarcus Aldridge, who's banged up recently, is an older guy. And at times, that age, that slowness, it's been exposed. And so this youth has been very, very important. So we'll go through a couple of these rookies. Let me start with Dayron Sharp, because you mentioned some of the positives he brings. What I like about Dayron Sharp is that he's very different than the other bigs that they have. Because it's logical to say, okay, Dayron Sharp's playing almost 30 minutes a night. Okay, he's a double-double guy. But what happens when LaMarcus Aldridge is healthy. We remember how good LaMarcus was, especially offensively coming off the bench with that mid-range jump shot, even defensively as a rim protector. And certainly Nicholas Claxton, who can switch on anybody, defend any position. What happens to De'Ron Sharp? I don't know if he's going to play 25, 30 minutes, but I think what's cool about him is that he's very different than those two guys. So I think based on your opponent, based on the matchup, that's where Dayron Sharp may get his playing time. Like he's not a carbon copy of Nicholas Claxton. It's not as if, oh wow, Dayron Sharp's emerged. Go trade Claxton. Why? They're very different in a lot of ways. So I think what's been cool about watching Sharp, even though I'm not necessarily sure what his role is in certain playoff matchups or you know how many minutes he's going to play in each round. He's different. He brings a level of versatility than the other bigs they have on this roster. Unfortunately for Blake, who I love, and while he can still take a charge like anybody, I think it's pretty obvious he's not going to have a role once this team is whole. Like, he's playing now because they need another big to play. You almost forgot Paul Millsap's on the roster. Kind of the same with him. It's really, if you're looking at the depth chart once they're healthy, LaMarcus and Claxton are definitely playing, and I think Dayron Sharp would be above Blake Griffin and Paul Millsap. I think so as well. I mean, Blake's played a little bit better of late. I, out of necessity, he's had to be there. He's been a, a got him to the free throw line a couple of times. But he, I, I can't, I am so surprised by it. You know, when he got traded to the Nets, they were like, oh, he can't dunk anymore. This whole big thing about it. 
Now I'm like, maybe he's not really able to dunk anymore. I mean, every time, <laughs> anytime someone makes a nice pass to him, watch this. There's two pump fakes and then he goes up. He can't just go straight up and finish. And I think it's because his athleticism is just completely shot now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. He, he's not, I mean, he's going to get minutes because it'll just happen with this and that. But the part that, you know, I'll, I'll counter you on because I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out in my brain is, Last season, when the Nets got to the playoffs, especially in that second round versus Milwaukee, I mean, Coach Nash just basically deleted the bench. There was nobody there. It was like Landry Shamit got a couple of minutes once. And then besides that, only the starters played. So will Coach Nash, when he gets to the playoffs, is he going to play these rookies? Because his track record from last season was basically just play Durant and, and Harden 50 minutes a game. I could see Daron Sharp getting a few minutes trying to defend Giannis. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be 20 minutes a night, right. but could I see him being inserted as a body to go up against Giannis? Yeah, why not? By the way, the the you're right about Blake, how it really does look like his athleticism is gone. He also can't shoot 20% from three. I mean, That's a problem. That, that just, that can't happen. And he continues to take three-point shots and get great looks because yeah. you got a, a passing wizard like James Harden on your team you're going to find yourself wide open quite a few times. You have to hit those shots occasionally. The the guy I'm most excited about is Kessler Edwards. I mean, he looks like the definition of a 3 and D guy. He's long. He can defend. He has hit the three-point shot at a crazy clip that I'm not necessarily expecting him to keep up at. I think he's hitting 47% of his threes. I'd have to look up the exact number, but I'm telling you, he's... Because even in the Pelican game, he made four or five or whatever it is. And I looked it up. I'm off a little bit. He's shooting 41.7% from three. So he has been tremendous from the outside. He can defend. He gives you energy. He's the guy I look at and say, of all the rookies, all of them, including Dayron Sharp, we just went through him, I can see him being a part of this rotation even when they're whole because he brings that 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 tenacity defensively, the ability to hit a three, and you're going to get a plenty of open looks like we just mentioned with some of the guys you have on the floor. I think he's the rookie I'm most excited about, Kessler Edwards. He fits the most, and let's say the big three are together. He fits the most within them because you don't need another scoring slashing guard like Cam Thomas out there with those guys available. You need somebody that can spread the floor, hit a shot, and then play some defense. He's the per It's the perfect fit. When yes. you go in there and people had said, you know, Joe Harris was having a really solid season. It wasn't just the three point shooting. Joe's defense was up and had improved this year. And that was a big part of why he was starting to cut, get on you know, the bad, bad start got better because the defense was there. You look at Kessler Edwards. He gives you the defense. He shoots the three. And I love him in transition, the lobs, the dunks. I mean, he flies down the court and gets and gets easy baskets for the nets. He has been like the, Shock to me that here's Kessler Edwards coming in here and having impactful minutes on this team has just been stunning. But but he works, he fits, he makes sense next to these other guys because of what I alluded to. He can shoot, he can spread the floor, and he plays defense. He's the perfect match if he can be this consistent when it counts to go alongside the superstars that can do all the scoring. And that's why he's ahead of Cam, because when they're healthy – Cam Edwards can't do a couple of Cam Thomas, not Cam. I'm mm -hmm. mixing them together. Cam Thomas can't do some of those things you mentioned. He's not a great three-point shooter. He can't defend the way Kessler does. I think Cam Thomas's importance is 
in when he's at home and there's no Kyrie Irving. You know, you saw the New Orleans Pelicans game. He played big minutes and he was great. The Pelican game played 35 minutes. He was very efficient. He played well. Um, I'm trying to think back in the San Antonio game where he hit the game winner. He didn't have a great performance, but I think it was another one of those 30 point nights. And look, obviously, Kevin Durant had the confidence in him to pass it off to Cam when he saw the double coming and Cam hit the game winner. So I kind of look at Cam Thomas and I don't know what we're talking about three years from now if he's still on the roster. But I think right now his value is more on those home nights where Kyrie Irving is ineligible because I know it's a small sample size, but when you look at the Chicago game and the Indiana game, because those are the only two games where we've seen the big three intact. He didn't play at all in the Indiana game and he played a a little bit in the Chicago game, but it felt like most of it was that garbage time after the Nets put the game away. So I think he becomes a guy who rarely plays when the three guys are out there and active. Yeah. Edwards was on Levine and he was guarding DeRozan and he did a pretty decent job against those guys. Yes, um, he did. You know, yep. Levine got hot in the second quarter, but Edwards did a really nice job defensively guarding them. I remember there was one play where DeMar DeRozan had like seven pump fakes and he fouled them. And then the next time down De- DeRozan did the same kind of pump fake thing and Edwards didn't fall for it. And we saw the great hustle plays that he had and then finishing the dunks around the rim. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's almost like I hope for the Nets' sake that Cam Thomas isn't getting the minutes because Kyrie Irving is playing great. He's out there all the time and they don't need that scoring bunch and can play somewhere within the eight to 10 minute range. And here's Kessler Edwards out there hitting shots, spreading the floor, playing defense and is maturing before our eyes. Uh, But a pleasant surprise. Glad he's there because he's been a big part of this rotation now. And if he's not there, especially with no Joe, I mean, because we saw like when Joe went out, their three point shooting went from first or second in the league to basically second to last behind the Thunder, who, of course, had their best shooting game of all time versus the Nets uh, half a week ago. But you see the difference he makes because the Nets, they have no three point shooting outside of those guys. I mean, it is it is bad and they need them. I I am also curious, and this is always difficult because I know, you know, we've had this conversation. It's not net related, but. Hey, what value does Julius Randle have in the trade market? I'm sure Nick fans have talked about that too. And it's, it's tough to know, you know, when you watch a guy every day, I don't know what the league thinks of Julius Randle. The only reason I bring that up is there's a little bit less than a month before the NBA trade deadline. Obviously the nets don't have a lot of flexibility in terms of money. They could move. Uh, They do have those trade exceptions, which I hope they use because why else acquire a trade exception unless you're going to use it. I wonder if the four rookies have enhanced their value to general managers around the league in that. And obviously I'm not talking about getting a superstar back or anything like that, but can you acquire a valuable role player? You know, obviously using the trade exception to make the money work, but packaging it with one of those young guys, because as much as we're falling in love with all the rookies, Assuming Harden and Kyrie Irving resign, this team for the next five years is built around three superstars. And everything you do is about fitting guys around that. So you got to be open-minded. You have to look, especially if we're even saying, hey, these, this he may not be in the rotation. He may not be in the rotation come playoff time. Would you move him in a deal for a guy who would? And before I even ask ourselves, like, are we willing to do it? I just wonder how Cam Thomas is viewed by GMs around the league. You know? 
What does Indiana think of Cam Thomas? Do they look at him and say, that's ah, a good young piece. We want to get him. How do, do league executives think of David Duke or Dayron Sharp or even Kessler Edwards? And then I have no idea. Now that's because I think that's going to be a big factor in determining if they're able to do anything before the trade deadline, because nobody wants Javon Carter. Javon Carter is not any good. He stinks. Net fans know he stinks. So it's not as if you're going to be able to use him as a chip to dangle. You're going to have to use something that teams want. And I just wonder would teams want any of those rookies that we've talked about. Yeah. And we don't know the answer to that as you, as you just stated, but it does help that they are playing well. And now there is film on them. Like I have to imagine the Dayron Sharp and Kessler Edwards value has gone up because of the last two to four weeks, because they're playing, they're showing that they can, they can play in this league and that they're young and maybe there is some value. And I'll answer your question. If it makes the Nets better to win a championship, I'm all for it. Whatever the deal is. If I, you know, obviously they make a (laughs) trade and I don't like it. I'll tell you like, Hey, this is what they gave up and this is what they got in return. That was a, that was a crap trade. Sure. But let's say they get, they deal cam Thomas or let's say that they deal Nick Claxton, but they're getting back somebody that can really help them win a championship. So be it. I mean, as, as much as it would pain me to say, or, you know, I don't think Joe Harris is on the move because of injuries and the necessity for three point shooting. But if the Nets got back a guy that could really elevate them to another level, it is what it is. And I've, I've, I've embraced it now. You know, I'm fully in, involved in this. I sold my soul for this team. <laughs> so why not just take it another step further at this point? What does it matter? Yeah. Well, they've been trading wins and losses now for about a week and a half. They have a four game road trip coming up in which assuming health Kyrie Irving and James Harden will lead this team at Cleveland tomorrow MLK day. So if you're listening on Monday later today, That will not be easy. Cavs are a tough customer at Washington, at San Antonio, at Minnesota. I would love three out of four. I would love to take three, three out of four before they come home for that showdown against the Laker team, but I'm not sure we'll ever put it all together. So that's what we're looking at over the next week. But obviously the big news, Kevin Durant's out the four to six weeks, and hopefully it only is four to six weeks. You can follow Mike at Mike Delivers Pod. Uh, Craig and I, Monday through Friday, two o'clock on the fan. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Brooklyn Basketball Podcast.